Please open that holy book, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, to Genesis chapter 2. And let us read some inspired history to get us started on this Adamic covenant. You know the time that I have. It's limited. We could spend sermons on the Adamic covenant, but we will not. A full study of Adam's creation, of Eve, of life, his life, of his family, and such topics are beyond this study. We want to look at the covenant that was made with Adam and the effect of it. It's not so much a study of the fall, but rather the covenant that God made with him and the consequences of it. And that covenant set a pattern that Jesus Christ would follow in our redemption. Genesis chapter 2. Here's a little bit of world history from 6,000 years ago. We start at chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There is the covenant. In germ form, two parties stipulating the rules of conduct and the consequences if the rules of conduct are broken. That is a covenant. Chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. He broke the covenant. Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. He broke the covenant, there were immediate consequences. We come over to verses 17 through 19 of this third chapter for more consequences. And unto Adam he said, that is the Lord God in Genesis 3, 17, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Verses 23 and 24 of this third chapter. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. We have his son, Cain, using similar excuses for his folly, like Adam did his. Genesis 4, 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, 
which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And now chapter 5, at verse 3, we're covering 1,000 years of world history, one-sixth of the earth's history in these few minutes. Genesis 5 and verse 3, And Adam lived in 130 years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. And Seth lived in 105 years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Now come over to Romans chapter 5, and let's read the Pauline explanation of the process and the covenant. And how God had one man stand in place for the whole human race, and we suffered the consequence of his choice. And we thank the Lord that there's another man he has caused to stand in for us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are blessed with eternal life by his choice to come and obey his Father. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and I just read it to you, and death by sin, and I just read it to you, and so death passed upon all men, I just read it to you, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Amen and amen. This is world history. This is the origin of death. They don't know the origin of death. They believe that life, even reproductive life, can come out of nothing, can come out of the abyss and the chaos of an empty universe. Where in the world did death come from? With the power of evolution at hand, there shouldn't be any death. It should have evolved that nasty thing away a long time ago. 
I mean, after all, when the first chimpanzee wanted to become an eagle, he was able to sprout wings and fly. Surely, at the first funeral, they decided that they would evolve away death. But no, we know why death is here, and there are two covenants at stake. And the new covenant, we don't get to for a while, because we've got to cover some covenants in the Old Testament. But all of it is part of the everlasting covenant. And the Adamic covenant is part of the everlasting covenant because God determined in, his, in eternity past, in the counsel of his own will, that he was going to have sinful angels and sinful men. He didn't make either of them sinners. They chose to be sinners. They rebelled against him. And let this be a lesson to us about free will. Do you want free will? There's only one kind of free will I want. A will that is free from the temptation to sin. A will that is free from any thoughts of pride or ambition. Because it is those things that get rational creatures into trouble. The devil fell because he was made a rational creature. Adam fell because he was made a rational creature. It's terrible. It's an indictment of free will. We're going to get free will in a day that's coming soon when we are delivered from the presence of sin. And thank you, Lord, for regeneration that saves us from the power of sin. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 for one more reference of explanation by the New Testament history teacher, and that's the Apostle Paul. This is world history. This is anthropology. This is the science of man and why he dies. It's all revealed to us in the Bible. We know wonderful things. We know the cause of death. We know the nature of that death. We know the ancillary deaths that Adam died as well. We know the cure for death. And we know about eternal life. And it's not in the fountain of youth, as Ponce de Leon hallucinated. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 21. For since by man came death. That's Adam causing us to die. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Yes. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Everyone that is in Adam by human generation must die. Everyone in Christ by eternal election by the grace of God must live and will live. And what glorious truth this is. Amen. And we embrace it and we believe it. And we trust it for the redemption of our souls. This is not so much a study of the fall, but rather the covenant and the consequences of it. Adam had no redeeming character traits, so why would we want to study the life of Adam? I like to say Adam had no redeemed traits, because there's no evidence that Adam was saved. For the sake of this study, we want to focus on the covenant that God made with him. And we had it stipulated in the first two verses when I read to you, the Lord God said to one man, so we had two parties, because it takes two parties to a covenant. And God told him, if you do this, these are the consequences of what's, uh, this is what's going to happen if you do it. That's all that you need for a covenant. This covenant has the most profound and terrible consequences for the human family. Adam's covenant was not for one generation. Or a small group of men, like Moses. Adam, like Frank Sinatra, did it his way. And the consequences are horrible deaths. Deaths, plural. 
If you need evidence of God's covenants, then stop questioning the concept and start analyzing death. (laughs) Because it'll show it to you. How did death pass upon all men? And we have a New Testament beautiful perspective. Romans 5, 12 through 19 is of far greater value than Genesis 3 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 that I read to you. Those scant historical details are all explained by the Apostle Paul. He tells us in detail how Adam's transgression was assigned to his descendants. And you don't really see that very clearly in Genesis 3 through 5 unless you're looking for it. Babies dying and tsunamis destroying and cars rusting and COVID-19 being contracted all prove the Adamic covenant and death by sin. Even natural man, if he had a selfless moment to be able to think, could know that the Bible explains death. This can be and should be one of the easiest proofs that the Bible is supernatural. And that's the origin of death, the nature of death. I mean, we even know the life expectancy of man for the last 3,500 years. What's the life expectancy of man for the last 3,500 years? About 73. Do you want to look it up on United Nations tables? It's exactly 73. We know because the Bible tells us so. God's children know that there are two deaths worse than physical death. There's a spiritual death of our spirit to turn us to be the enemies of God. And we made that choice by the first act of enmity against God. And then there's eternal death, which the Bible calls the second death, when men are thrown body and spirit into the lake of fire. However, the horrific severity of Adam breaking this covenant is exceeded by the glorious grace of the second Adam keeping his covenant with God. I didn't have time to do this in one short sermon, but I hope that in reading Romans 5 to you, you noticed that beginning in verse 15, there are contrasts made between the covenant with Adam and the covenant with Christ, and there are differences pointed out showing that the covenant with Christ is better. And we can see that the first covenant certainly works well because there's people dying all around us. But if you can believe that, then you should more so believe that the everlasting covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ will result in men living. This covenant is God's compact with Adam to be the representative for all his descendants. It followed the everlasting covenant that was made in eternity because this was made in time with Adam after he was given existence. It's stated well, and I read it to you, and it's explained well, and I read it to you. It's the word of the Lord. We just asked for truth concealed to be revealed, and it was revealed in that little string of passages I read to you. We do not need the word covenant to know a covenant was in place in Genesis any more than we need the word trinity to prove plural pronouns for God are for three and not two or four. Nor do we need the word promise to specify that a declaration of blessings from God is a promise. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Is that a promise? I deny it. It doesn't have the word promise. I speak as a fool. I'm trying to get your attention. There's only 63 promises. The use of the word singular or plural in the entire Bible. Do you think there are only 63 promises in the entire Bible? More like 630 or 6,300 promises in the Bible. We don't need the word covenant. 
Sometimes we're going to get the word covenant in the Bible, and sometimes we're not. All a covenant is, is stipulations between a couple of parties, and one party is going to operate conditionally based on the conduct of the other, or he's going to operate unconditionally by performing things without conditions. The second one we're going to look at today, the Noahic covenant, that is an unconditional covenant. He didn't tell Noah, now if you do such and such, I won't drown the earth again. He just smelled that sacrifice and said, I'm not going to do that one again. Unconditionally. But this was conditional. I've put a tree in the middle of the garden. If you eat off that tree, you will die. You will surely die. All we need is God's terms of conduct and outcome to Adam. And we've got a covenant. And we've got the history of it that followed in the chapters that I read to you. Chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 is the violence that was in the earth coming from Adam's sin. Then we have Paul's explanation in the New Testament. And our life confirms by observation and experience that death is on everyone. Everywhere. And it can't be taken away. There is no discharge in that war, as Solomon would write about the fight for life. Furthermore, Paul compared Adam to Christ. And eternal life is by a covenant in him. Therefore, there must be a covenant in Adam. That's the strongest proof there is of all. Because of the great connection, who is the figure of him that was to come. So Adam is still a figure of Jesus Christ, even after he came and went back to heaven, because they both condemn or save by covenant. A representation of federal headship where God assigned Adam as our representative and he assigned Jesus Christ as our representative for salvation. Man is for, first and foremost a sinner by Adam's covenant, not by his sin nature or the fact of his own sins. As in the case of infants dying before birth, because they die as a consequence of the sin, guilt, and promised death of Adam's singular offense in the Garden of Eden. This covenant that God made with Adam, and upon which anthropology and mankind sits, condemned to death, three deaths, it's most reasonable. And it only bothers those who resent a sovereign God. We just had a general election year. In an election, no matter the form of government, is it any different? Think about it with me. When you vote, you make a covenant. You make a covenant with a man that you are going to trust him and he is going to go to Washington and represent you and make decisions. Decisions that could cost you dearly, or decisions that could bless you greatly. It's no different than an election. Forget the man that might become our president and think about the one you elected. You chose him to represent you, and whatever he chooses, you will suffer the consequences of those choices. Those living under a representative form of government should fully grasp the idea of electing and choosing representatives to make the decisions for us, and we will abide by the consequences, and that's the covenant we make with them. Voting is a pretty serious act. Fathers make choices with profound effects on the wife, on the children, and the grandchildren. Board of, boards of directors and executives make decisions profoundly affecting the owners of that company and the employees of that company. The doctrine of representation 
And the doctrine of federal or headship is very real, very practical. You face it all the time and you accept it elsewhere. If there's one being whose covenant I will accept and bow before, it's any covenant from the God of heaven. I trust him completely. I trust him that the man he chose to represent me in Eden was the very best man and would have outdone me by an infinite degree. Let me just use the word infinite. And that I wouldn't have chosen better, and I've proved that so every day since. In each of the examples I just gave you, and many more could be used, a covenant sets the stage for someone being your representative. An election is a covenant. Sometimes it's called a mandate in our country. Sometimes we call it a mandate, and that is when the percentage of those behind the new president is sufficiently large to say, this is now the major voice of the country. Instead of it being a separation of 1% or 2%, a separation by 10% or 20%, we know that there's even more of the country behind the newly elected president. Man fully accepts the concept and principle of another person representing them. Though when you first tell someone about the Adamic covenant, they want to deny it. It's just too hard. It's too severe. And it shows God too sovereign. I love it because I know it's the only way that can get me saved. It's the only way that can get me saved. Him taking it all off of me and putting it all on him. And him is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if he took it all off me and put it on a better man anyway in the Garden of Eden, that's okay. I like the drama that is created by God's everlasting covenant that includes this covenant. Man fully accepts the concept and principle of another person representing them. They get downright giddy with joy for their choices in rulers. Has this church celebrated four years ago the election of President Donald Trump. We did. Women get giddy with joy about the man that's going to marry them. And oh, that man is going to cause them some pain. That man is going to bring them some disappointment. But they agree to that with two little tiny words. I do. After they have heard the words, for better or for worse, it's all covenant. Why does, why does Genesis 3 trouble people? They do it all the time. You poor thing, I'm speaking to my wife because you can't as easily speak to yours right now. You gave me your life. There were good times and bad times, for better or for worse. But they've never met or considered a representative as good as Adam in Eden. Never. If being represented by the best man bothers you, consider the alternative. That God puts you on probation as an infant, and then as a foolish child and a teenager, without any knowledge or conscience, with an unlimited number of commandments to keep instead of one in a sinful world. <laughs> Do you want that choice? I wish I'd have been born and had the choice myself to choose God or not. No, go with Adam, because Adam's the wisdom of God. And Adam works out just okay for us that are in this room. It doesn't work out well for those out there, and that's why we're in here. And if there's any children of God out there, we want to find them and bring them in here so that we can all celebrate this together. We love the positive covenant of Christ and His righteousness imputed to us. 
This covenant that I'm mentioning to you about Adam, between God and Adam for us, is not without precedence, and neither is it at all unreasonable or unfair. Think about the precedent of the Canaanites. The Canaanites were judged through Canaan, Noah's grandson, due to Ham's folly. Who committed the folly in Genesis chapter 9? Ham did. Who was cursed? Canaan was. How about the Egyptians losing all their firstborn children, all their assets, and, and the, the lives of the army by Pharaoh's folly? Because that's what a ruler can cost a nation. A pastor either saves or loses his hearers by his faithfulness. Does the Bible teach that? Eternal life by imputation of Christ's obedience is gloriously perfect. Adam was far superior to you or me in every respect. Adam lived in a perfect world with a perfect wife and only one rule to keep. Adam's nature was very good without depravity for God and others. If the whole human race had been in Eden and you and I had been among them and we'd been asked by God to choose the representative that we would want, we would have said, that man, and we would have pointed to Adam because he was our superior. The nature of this covenant is simple for Bible readers that believe the record. God stated the terms to a single person on earth at the time, the first man, Adam, and Moses wrote it down for us 2,500 years later. It was Adam's single sin in Eden that was imputed, as Paul clearly wrote, the one offense versus many offenses. Do you remember that in verse 16? That the first covenant is by one offense, but the second covenant is greater by its quantitative difference of Jesus paying for many offenses. That, that is just, there's so much power in the second covenant, the new covenant of the second Adam. And I want you to embrace, I know those verses are a little troubling. Verses 15 through 17 of Romans 5 are a little troubling. They're a little obscure. But it's quality, quantity, reigning power. And you should write that in your margins if you want to learn your Bible and not forget it next time. It's very, it's helpful. Eve sinned first. This is, Eve sinned first. But she is ignored in Romans 5 because the covenant wasn't with her. Eve sinned first, but the inspired record only indicates a change in nature after Adam partook. Eve sinned first, but her folly in Eden was her simplicity. That means her foolishness toward the deception of the devil, not imputation. Adam's sin affected Eve like all descendants because she was from him and came from him, and she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. The covenant that I'm talking about is primarily of legal standing before God, not the corruption of nature that we also got, because that was part of it, and which is perpetuated by human generation, reproductive generation of children. We know this covenant by revelation only. I don't think I need to work that very hard. Adam was not a bad example. He was not a bad president. He was a bad federal head. He was a bad representative for us. He wasn't just a bad example. He didn't just bring sin into this world by his example. He brought sin into this world by a covenant relationship standing in for all of us and all of us in him. When God looked at Adam, God saw every single one of us, whether that be 50 billion or 80 billion or 115 billion in the history of the world. It can't be stated any plainer in Romans chapter 5 that by one man sin and death entered the world and so death passed upon all men because they're all sinners through Adam. 
And it was through the offense of one that many are dead. And it's judgment by one to condemnation. By one man's offense, death reigned by one. By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I mean, the Apostle Paul was very thorough with us. And so the revelation we have is very complete. And it's very repetitive. And it's very clear that it's a one versus the many. That's a covenant. I'm going to make a covenant. And Adam is going to stand in for the whole human race. And that is why children in the womb, having neither done good or evil, according to Romans 9.11, can still die because they're guilty for the evil of Adam. And we're the only ones that can explain that. And the idea of an age of accountability is ridiculous. Age of accountability. Then why do they die before they reach the age of accountability? You know, most Baptists would say that the age of accountability is 12. Then why do 10-year-olds die? Because they are accountable. Nevertheless, death reigned, even over 10-year-olds that some think are not accountable because they're accountable for Adam's sin. And so we have the Adamic covenant represented to us and, and taught to us and revealed to us in the Bible. Paul made Adam a presumptuous sinner rather than a deceived one in 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 14. He, Paul would say the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The transgression of the context of 1 Timothy 2 is why a woman should be ashamed in public and dress accordingly in public and not talk in public assemblies and be in submission to the man. All those factors are in there because of the nature of her sin. Her sin was one of being deceived. So nobody wants to listen to her, ordinarily. I'm not going to have to undo that, am I, ladies? We love all you ladies. And you ladies are smarter than the ladies out there. And you ladies know the Word of God better than they out there. But still the Bible warns us that if you, have anything, if you want to learn anything, let, it, let you ask your husband at home. And so when it says, the woman being deceived was in the transgression, her deception was that, was the cause of the troubles upon the woman that, that are listed there in 1 Timothy chapter 2. She wasn't in the transgression of the covenant, because Adam was in the transgression of the covenant, and that's why Paul put it all upon the one man, not upon the one woman, and not upon the one couple, but upon the one man. Look at Job 31. You might like this. We, don't have, we certainly don't have any extra time, but you might like this about Job. As Job's wrapping up his defense... Job's in court, and he has three judges. And they're jumping into that big black throne as soon as the other one finishes speaking. And so we've got Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar all judging Job. And poor Job is sitting out there, the convicted, sentenced. You know, he needs to be executed, in their opinion, because he's such a bad sinner. And we've got Elihu over to the side, can't believe anything that's going on. But this is what is said by Job as he wraps up his defense. Because Elihu begins speaking in chapter 32, and here's Job. Job knew about Adam. If I covered my, verse 33, Job 31, 33, if I covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom, I know what Adam tried to do. He sinned, made himself fig leaves, and went and hid in the trees. If, what Job is saying, I didn't do anything like that. He's got a whole bunch of ifs in here. 
If, 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 if I'm a sinner, then punish me. But since I'm not, don't. Just kind of neat there. Job knew. Job, listen, Job knew about the, we're going to get to Job knowing about the flood as well. Job knew about the flood. Job just didn't know about Moses and Israel. Job, Job knows that adultery is wrong, but he doesn't know that it's one of the Ten Commandments. Not the way that it was given to Moses. That's here too in chapter 31. But don't look for it right now. By Adam we are legal sinners by imputation with delayed punishment for some probation. And the probation is not encouraging probation. You know, probation we usually think, if I do good, things can get better. But this probation is just to show us that we only know one course of action, bad. And so that everything we read about in the Bible is true and justified. I'm just calling it probation. The Bible doesn't call it probation. I am simply for your understanding, I hope. Adam spiritually died that day that he ate the fruit. That's why they were immediately guilty and shamed of their nakedness. He physically died 930 years later, and he will yet die when he's thrown into hell, the lake of fire for the second death. We can't prove absolutely that that's where he's going, but I don't know why in the world you would not put him there since he is the representative of sin, death, and condemnation that is given in this world. And there was nothing said about him or done for him, and there isn't one single redeeming trait of Adam, and there isn't one redeemed trait of that man. The additional time, let's call it probation for right now, allowed Adam and us to prove our depravity. In the day that thou atest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He died spiritually. He didn't die physically for 930 years. I'm calling that 930 years probation for him to show just how wicked he was. And we don't die instantly when we're conceived. We're brought into life after nine months of gestation in the womb. And then we have 73 years to live in this world. And that 73 years is like our probation, like we're going to prove God wrong for having a covenant with Adam. No, we're going to prove God right for having a covenant with Adam. And we're going to prove that we do have a depraved nature from Adam because we're going to fulfill it about every day of our lives. Genesis 4 has two family trees that I hope you read about last evening. Already, can you believe this in one generation with different religions that hated each other's religion so much that one killed the other? Genesis 4 has murder, polygamy, and profanity. Excusing himself and saying, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where Abel is. Lying to Almighty God. After he had come to make a sacrifice to Almighty God. And there was a place where sacrifices were made. It was called the presence of the Lord. Because Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He had been in the presence of the Lord, probably at the east of Eden, along with Abel, because they both brought to the same place an offering. And Abel brought the right offering, and Cain didn't. But notice the profanity and the wickedness and the polygamy. I want to tell you something about Noah right now. If there was ever a justified time for polygamy, it would have been after the flood. But not our man Noah. Just keep that in mind. You say, well, there weren't any women to marry. Oh, he had. There were women that were on the scene quickly because he lived for another 350 years. But notice Cain's descendants. You know what I like about the flood? It's a point number two that I shouldn't be making. I like the flood because Cain's family tree disappeared. Do you agree? Here's the bad news. There was so much latent evil on the ark, as soon as they disembarked, 
they replaced Cain with whole new lines of wickedness. You would think that if you had spent a year and 10 days on the ark in the flood and when you got off and all was destroyed that you would live a holy life? No, not even Noah. And we run into sins as early as Genesis 9, which is when they got off the ark, along with the last verses of chapter 8. Part of God's redemptive drama, part of God's everlasting covenant is for us to learn about sin. That sin might become exceeding sinful. Romans chapter 7. The law was our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ because we knew that a set of commandments given to us, no matter how good and not grievous commandments, they were commandments for our own good. We wouldn't keep them because we would want to do things differently than God told us. And so I'm calling this, forget the choice of the word, it's this delay in punishment. Adam didn't die physically the day that he ate the fruit. He died 930 years later, and during that period of time, he showed his depravity along with his sons and grandsons and the whole family tree of Cain. This covenant with Adam and the imputation of sin that it assigns is high sovereignty of God. If there is ever a, a, a concept or a doctrine in the Bible that should cause us to tremble, it's this one and aspects of this one. And I hope that it does that to you. The Lord reigneth. And it doesn't have exceptions. It says the Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And they bark. And they bark. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. Second generation. Humanity that thinks so highly of itself is subject to the choices of God and Adam. I love that. And they can't get away from it. And they are all going to die. And they all will go to funerals before they get to die. And they will all decay and deteriorate. And everything in their driveway deteriorates. And their houses deteriorate. And their puppies die. And their gerbils die. And their relatives die, and their spouses die, and their children die. I hope you noted that Benj our Benjamin's grandfather has buried all his children. Shem buried a few of his too, didn't he, brother? Seven generations. Mankind individually and in totality must die three deaths for a reason most do not even know. They were not consulted for this covenant or for their own existence to suffer under this covenant. Only this covenant explains why babies die in an age of accountability is heresy. Those ignorant of the covenant or that hate the very concept or idea of the covenant are still damned by it. Rather than beneficiaries of this covenant, there are only assignees. 
the consequences of Adam's sin assigned to us. You were not asked about your existence. You were not asked if you would like to be a rational creature. You were not asked about Adam's covenant. The outcome reveals its intentions. The sovereignty of a holy God over sinful rebels. What if God willing to show his wrath and his power? The solution reveals its intention. The solution reveals its intentions. Covenant salvation by the obedience of one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget the threefold death. Three. He died in spirit so that he was an enemy of God. Instead of repenting, why didn't he run out into the cool in the cool of the evening? Run out and grab God by his feet and repent? Because his nature was corrupt. He thought he could cover his problem himself. And so he went and hid in the trees of the garden. His spirit died. He physically died 930 years later. I'm going over the facts of life. These are the real facts of life, the important facts of life. And then he's going to suffer eternal torment in the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Bodily decay and death are terrible. All of you over 40 are beginning to see it. Those of you over 60 know it a whole lot better. And those of you over 80... Don't tell me about it. Bodily decay and death are terrible. Depravity of sin worse, and the second death worst of all. Covenant with Adam. The catastrophic condemnation, corruption, and sentencing of our race is right here before your eyes. The change in nature immediately brought guilt and shame to ruin the perfect paradise that Adam and Eve had with God and with each other. The two lovebirds had lived carefree lives, but now they hid and blamed each other. Incredible. The loss of fellowship with God and the loss of friendliness with each other, they began blaming each other. I've been, all, been out through this before. It's called Catastrophe and Cure, preached two years ago. The wisdom they once had was corrupted to presume they might hide from him. Dysfunction and death in nature, relationships, religion, their heart and their body came upon all men. Visit a hospice home to see and smell the death, the deserted occupants, and candles. Visit an old folks' home and smell the decay and the death. Walk all the hallways and the sitting area and see how many of them are alone. Though they gave their lives at an earlier stage of life for their children, they're now alone. Look at their faces. See their loneliness. Find the candles burning in the chapel because they have a totally wrong religion that has no saving power at all, but they light candles. I should use slides. You wish I had done this for you and gone in and taken slides of those decayed bodies in a bed? of them sitting in a room, just rocking, with absolute nothing there because they have no one to relate to and haven't, and candles burning, it's all part of depravity. We'll come up with a new religion. It's going to be our fig leaf religion. We'll light candles to Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, remember us, dear children, in the hour of our death. Oh, no. She had need of God, her Savior, as much as anyone else did, and she said so. 
Rather than repent, they hid from God. Adam and Eve did, resented Him, and feared Him like devils fear Him. Rather than repent, they blamed what they could think of on each other like caught sinners today. The woman was saddled with 40 years of monthly trouble and painful childbirth. The woman was sentenced to greater subordination to her husband in marriage and in general. As 1 Timothy 2 explains, the man was saddled with difficulty making a living to sustain his family. You cannot alter life expectancy, which the Bible said at 73, about 3,500 years ago. Every nation has God's laws in their consciences, but they sin against them anyway. God is perfectly righteous to condemn all men to hell for what Father, Aber, what Father Adam did. COVID-19 may come from Wuhan, China, and the CCP with U.S. help, but it actually came from Adam. And that's what we need to always remember. It comes from Adam. Near zero effective nutrition or exercise in the West mocks Prevention Magazine. Prevention Magazine is right here in the Bible. And the prevention is the cure. And the cure is Christ Jesus the Lord. And he's the only cure. Every bit of decay and deterioration of vivacious youth into caskets is by this covenant. Solomon's metaphorical description of bodily decay in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is because of this covenant. But far worse than all the natural and spiritual results are the eternal results. What a God. What a holy God. Holy, holy, holy. And all Isaiah could scream was, Woe is me in the presence of that God. Let's live in the presence of that God. And let's let the Adamic covenant, which binds us for death, unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns. The covenant with Adam was necessary in God's plan and reflects the everlasting covenant. What a disgrace. God made a covenant of works. How long did it last? 20 seconds. What a disgrace. A perfect man, an easy law, but a covenant of works won't work. I want you to be thinking, it's a drama. The whole thing's a drama. And it's to result with you loving the covenant of grace. It's to result in you loving the everlasting covenant. When God made a covenant of works with a perfect man, in a perfect environment, with a perfect wife, and only one commandment, how far does a covenant of works get you? It is this drama is beautiful. See, we're not in a perfect world. I'm not. Anyone here in a perfect world? Now I've got a perfect wife, but she doesn't have a perfect husband. So she's in the same predicament. We have more than one commandment to keep, don't we? We're depraved from the inside out. The peer pressure around us is enormous. What kind of peer pressure did Adam have? Just the animals mating. <laughs> That's why God said it's not good for you to be alone, but forgive that point. Think about this point. There's no comparison. No comparison. A covenant of works fails. You see, I want, I want to control my own destiny. I wish God had given me a covenant of works so that I can control my... No, you don't. You want the covenant of grace, and that's what we're building toward. That's what we're going for. He needed, God needed fallen man under condemnation of sin, in a display of sovereign judgment. We don't need to order the decrees and tell which one came first, for the plainest truth is God's plan is always for His glory. The tree of life, which a flaming sword kept 
Adam and Eve from is in heaven. And it's offered to us a couple of times in the book of Revelation. We're going there. And that, that tree of life involved a great deal more than just life extension for Adam. Adam already had life extension. There was no death baked in. It was going to deliver him from the covenant into the everlasting favor of God without any risk or chance of failure. Because that's what it is in heaven. It's eternal life. It's not an extension of this life. It is a whole new life. I will make all things new is what heaven's going to be like. The tree of life, the opportunity which Adam lost by sin is in heaven for our eternal life. Compare, think about this with me as I close. Both the first, think about this with me. Now, I don't do very much of this. I do what I just did. I just want to take the word of God and lay it out to you. But I want to look for a few hints of the everlasting covenant in the Adamic covenant. Now, the big hint is God dealt with one man for many, and so Adam is the figure of him that was to come, who already came, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the biggest. That is the hint that there is a federal headship and representation in Jesus Christ where we were chosen before the world began that he would live and obey and die and rise again and ascend into heaven for us. And that's wonderful. But consider this. Both the first and second Adam were created miraculously by Jehovah. Both the first and second Adam entered this world with a perfect nature. The wife of each is from the flesh and bones of the man. Ephesians 5. Both Adams stood by their fallen wives and did not desert them for their sins. Both Adams fell under the curse of God for standing with sinful wives. Both Adams are the federal head or representative of respective families. What each Adam did was imputed to their respective families before God. And thank you, Lord, for that. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Please stand with me.